With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Erica Sanchez rose to national prominence with her New York Times best-selling young adult novel, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. Now in her new memoir, Crying in the Bathroom, Erica is picking up where her last work left off sharing what happens when a rebellious, brilliant, young Latina wants more for her life than anyone else can imagine, actually begins to live. Erica, I am such a fan. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I so loved crying in the bathroom. I have cried myself in the bathroom too many times to count. And I always feel like when you're writing a memoir, one of the biggest challenges is where to start because you don't want to start with the obvious, which is like, I was born and I grew up here. And Mm -hmm. and you start with the year your vagina broke is the title of the chapter. (laughs) Why the choice to start there? (laughs) Yeah, well, as a, a youngster, I've always really delighted in like scandalizing people. Sometimes I talk to my best friend from growing up and we we discuss how like we just really enjoyed making people uncomfortable and it would make us laugh and so I think that is part of it also growing up I felt an immense sort of shame about my body I felt like I was dirty I had to hide my my breasts because men would look at me and I would be inviting their stares I felt so just discombobulated in in myself physically and I felt that part of the story is a is a continuation from the novel in a sense in which like this young woman me is in college trying to find herself trying to 
make sense of the world and seek pleasure and romance and, and love, but being told that you're not worthy of that. You're not allowed to have that. You can only have sex when you're married. Otherwise you're a whore. And it's just like, why? I understand that it comes from the Catholic church and patriarchy and what have you. But I just feel like there's a different way to be now. I feel like my generation and subsequent generations are going to be like, no, thank you. We don't subscribe to these notions because those notions are incredibly harmful to us. I am like you raising a daughter. I have two daughters. So I I truly hope that is the case. For those who did not read Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, let's just do a little catching up. You write in this book, growing up, I always felt like a pariah, a misfit, and a disappointment in my traditional Mexican family. Can you give us an example of how that was so? Yeah, I have many examples, but one was when I was about 16, I shaved off most of my hair. It was after like a really unfortunate haircut. And I was like, I'm tired of these beauty standards. I don't want to subscribe to this. I was like going through this very sort of aesthetic phase. And I I was really interested in Buddhism. And I wore a lot of thrift store clothing because I was like, I don't care about material things. You know, I thought I was like more spiritual than everybody else. And and so anyway, the, the shaving of the head just came naturally as a result of that kind of thinking. And I was fine with it. I didn't really care about how I looked so much, but people were very, very put off by it, upset by it. My father, my mother, they were just so upset. They were like, how dare you? Why did you do that? You're bringing shame upon your family. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, it, it was inconsequential to me. And so that was one way in which I rejected the gender norms that were given. I didn't agree. I thought they were stupid. You know, like I didn't want to to heat up tortillas for my brother because he was perfectly capable of heating them himself, you know, like that was not something I was going to do. And and that created all this conflict all the time because I was like, nah, I don't think so. That doesn't work. That's the adolescent version of wanting more for yourself, which is attention sort of runs throughout the book, the sort of both wanting more and then the sense of internally from you, from yourself, who are you? to want more than this. You write, success in my family meant sitting at a desk. It meant you had air conditioning during the brutal summer months. It meant your boss didn't talk down to you because he didn't speak English. It meant you didn't fear La Migra would deport your ass while you were minding your own business trying to make a living. Like the hair on my arms stood up when I read that piece of it because that is the first gen dream, right? Just like get an office job. Yeah. Just have a solid living, have 401k. How did your parents feel then when you're like, I think instead I'll be a poet? (laughs) They were not pleased. They were confused. They were like, what is that? Like, how do you make a, a life out of that? And I didn't really know myself, but I had, I had read many books. I had seen many movies and I was like, this is the thing that I'm going to do because I've seen white people do it. So why not? And I felt like I was meant to do it. Like that was my calling in life. I knew this very young, ever since I was like 12 years old, I decided I'm going to be a poet. I'm going to be a writer. And I never wavered. My parents felt that it was a very risky path. And and I, 
I agree it was, but there was nothing else for me to do. Like I didn't know how to function in like a regular job. I I tried office jobs because I needed to make money and I tried to like just suppress myself in order to just survive and make money and like be able to to eventually one day have a writing career. But that was very painful for me. I didn't know how to act in those environments. I always felt like a like a loose cannon. I would always say things that people thought were weird. <laughs> it's just like I I literally couldn't help myself. And so my parents, they never imagined that I would have a life like this. And then finally, when a Mexican daughter came out and my poetry collection came out, they were like, oh, I see. Like, it started to make sense to them what it was that I was trying to do. What I loved about learning about this in your new book is you are this huge public success in that moment. It is <laughs> the moment when externally everyone thinks she's doing so great. She must be so happy. But in reality, your life is unraveling in those years. Yeah, it was very surreal to have reached this peak that I always dreamed of. And, you know, I went to the National Book Awards and I was traveling and I was speaking at all these different events. And I felt so excited for my life. And it was like the hard work paid off until a culmination of of things happened. And I kind of burned out in some ways. And, you know, I think being so public was really hard for me. When I write these very intimate stories, like people have very strong reactions and they expect a lot from me. And so that was tough to navigate. I wasn't sure how to like draw boundaries. That in in conjunction with a really terrible relationship, in conjunction with a change in my medication, being away from my family, my community in Princeton, New Jersey, all of those things. And then on top of that, getting pregnant and and then not knowing what to do, like, all of that just crushed me. It, it was so, so, so excruciating. I don't even know how to describe it. I tried my best in the book, but it's still, it doesn't really do it justice. It was like being alive was a penance. It was like, why am I here? What am I doing? What's the point? I don't matter. I like literally just wanted to disappear. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. 
Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. You write very powerfully about that unexpected pregnancy and about the decision to terminate that pregnancy. What do you want us to know about that decision and about the period that followed? I think what is most important to understand is that it was a life and death situation. It wasn't something that I took lightly. It was the worst experience of my life. I'm glad I did it. And yet it was just the worst thing that's ever happened. So these two things are are simultaneously true. And I think a lot of people like struggle with that sort of nuance, especially when it comes to abortion. Like I was grieving for so long after I had that procedure. And it was like such a traumatic experience for many different reasons. I don't feel like we have to justify our abortions to anybody no one likes it. It's not a light decision. It's something that many of us do because we might die if we don't. And even so, even if it's just like, I don't want to have a child right now, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like our bodies should be left alone. We should not have to answer to other people about how we deal with our bodies, what we do to our bodies, because that is dehumanizing. When you say it was a matter of life or death, I mean, you, you referenced changing your meds. You'd, you'd long been diagnosed as a depressive. You had a psychiatrist who changes that diagnosis to bipolar expression, puts you on different medications as a result. And part of what you're not picking up on is the fact that, that these meds are not working, that this is not actually a fit. In the period after... I'm trying to remember in terms of you going to the psych ward, you you realize you need help. Is Are you with your mom when you realize you need help? That was the second time. The first time I was by myself and I just drove myself to the psych ward because I was like, I can't go on like this. I might die. And, you know, I'm over here like with this really prestigious fellowship and all of these accolades, all these beautiful things happening for me. And I'm like, I don't want to be alive. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. It was surreal. And, you know, people were checking in on me, not understanding what was happening. Like I, I wasn't answering emails or texts or anything because I was literally in the hospital without access to any of that. And yeah, I don't think anyone could have 
suspected that that was going to happen to me, especially me. It was really debilitating. And so I, I figured like, I need to take control of this situation before I just like dissolve into the ether because <laughs> that's how it felt. And it was really frightening. Coming out of the second trip to the psych ward, you really begin to make some major life changes. What were they? And as your sort of approach shifts, as your energy shifts, how do things in your own life begin to shift? Yeah, so I, I came back to Chicago because I felt like I needed to be with my family and my friends. And I eventually recuperated over the course of the summer. And that was because I had an outpatient program. And then I also got another round of electroconvulsive therapy, which used to be known as electroshock therapy, but it is very different now. And so that was like the last resort for me because nothing else was working. And I was desperate. I was like, please do this for me because I can't, I can't go on. And I got, I think a total of 12 rounds. And, and by the time I was finished, I began to really feel like myself again. Like I was eating more. I was able to joke with people. I experienced joy and pleasure again. I was able to read. I was able to write. I I just was given myself back to myself, you know? It was an incredible shift and and I just, I'm so grateful for science. Like, oh my God, I never would have thought that this was something that I could ever do. And after that, I, I, I returned to Princeton. I, I finished out my fellowship, which really worried me. I, I didn't want to quit. I was like, I cannot give this up. This is too important. And so I went back, I did my job. I traveled again. I went to Italy. I went to London. I went to Dublin. I was like, I'm going to really live it up because I almost died. So <laughs> it was a really uh, amazing renaissance. You also got married. You have a baby. It really just like everything sort of unfolds from that moment on. The epigraph of crying in the bathroom really sets the tone for the story that you'll tell and the journey will take us on, which is from um, the poem by Emily Dickinson, The Wounded Deer Leaps Highest. How in your own life has that been true? Yeah, that's a very personal quote because I don't know if that's the case for everybody else, but like, I think having had such deep trauma for many reasons, mostly my bipolar disorder, that's been in a sense a gift to to be able to like turn that horrible suffering into something that is beautiful that is art that people can connect to so finding the meaning in the hurt is is really what i was trying to get at in the epigraph where and I, and i love the image of it i think a deer jumping is so exquisite like that's that to me as a poet i'm just like oh chef's kiss, you know, like it's just one of my favorite images. 
I cried a lot reading Crying in the Bathroom. And I think it's in part because that experience of being an outsider, of not fitting in anywhere, of not belonging anywhere is bizarrely so shared as an experience. And you articulated something that I have never quite been able to put my finger on. And it's sort of you pushing away the idea of imposter syndrome and instead putting it this way. It's not that I believe myself to be fake or unworthy. It's that I question whether a person like me will be allowed to live the way I choose. I've always known that there was something special about me, a part I wanted to share with the world, but my fear was that the world wouldn't see it or wouldn't care. What is your best advice to someone who feels the same way? Well, there's so much to say. And, you know, like I, I teach young Latinas all the time. And this has been like such a healing experience for me because I, I want to give them the wisdom that no one gave me. And so I feel like whenever I teach, I try to make them understand that they may be different, but that makes them special, that that is an asset that being bicultural is like an amazing, beautiful thing that we often don't really recognize as a society. And so I felt as a young woman so alone, I didn't know what it it was going to take for me to just have the kind of life that felt right for me. And it seemed to me that society decided that I wasn't worthy of such things that I, as a brown woman, as a working class woman, as someone who grew up in, in, in that environment, like I wasn't worthy of all those things. I mean, I thought I was worthy myself. I was like, I, I should be able to do that. But I had so much rejection. I faced so much criticism throughout my writing career that it was as if I just didn't matter in the grand scheme of things in like the the literary landscape the the landscape was very different when I was trying to come up like everyone was almost almost everyone was white and here I am insisting that people pay attention to my work and it felt really demoralizing at times but I knew that what I had to say was important I knew that and I see it now with like the young women who respond to my work where they're like, I've never seen this before. I'm so encouraged by this. You know, I I see things differently. Like that is what makes writing all of this worth it is, is that kind of response because that's what I needed as a young person. And, and I had, you know, examples here and there, but, but not enough. And so I had to like do it. I'm like, if, if I want it, if I want these books to exist, I need to write them, which is what Toni Morrison said. And, and I, I really took that to heart. Erica Sanchez, we are all so grateful that you stayed with it, that you remained insistent. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you as always for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Polina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. 
We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.